Good morning, everyone. If you want to get out your Bibles, we'll be reading from 1 Peter 1, 1 through 9 and 17, and also 2, 11 and 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you, born again to a living hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again in a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may not see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Thank you, Mickey. Well, Happy New Year, Bergen Park. We can still say that, right? That's all right. Yeah, good to see you. It's good to see you guys. Welcome. Uh, we're glad to have you here at Bergen Park Church or visiting. Uh, we hope you feel at home among us. Uh, one of the things we do at Bergen Park and what we value is to walk through books of the Bible. As we walk through the books of the Bible, uh, you don't just hear from me, hopefully, through the power of the Spirit. This is the mystery that God works through. The power of the Spirit can use someone like me uh, to speak through His Word and to speak to us as we have humble hearts to receive it. And so we go through Scripture because that's how God teaches us. And so for the next 12, 14 weeks, we're going to be walking through the book of 1 Peter. Now, before we get into that, a couple of family kind of announcements. You ready? Uh, first of all, uh, if you haven't updated, we do this CCB, this online community. It helps us to stay connected. I know some of you have not gotten connected to that. If you could go online or if, 
there's a table as you head out, just update your information. What that allows us to do, I know some of you uh, may be new and you kind of look around and you say, who are these people? Well, you go to CCB and hopefully, if they've put one, there's a picture. And you can finally realize, okay, his name is not Bill, it's George. And I've been calling him Bill, right? You've done that? I mean, that's classic me. So, so go and do that. Uh, a couple other things. As we begin 2018, you know, it's a good time. I know we got resolutions and all that kind of stuff, and that's okay. But here, here's what I'd recommend. Are you ready? What is one thing you can cut out? Maybe just in this month, I think we got 23, 24 more days in this month. What's one thing you can cut out? that would allow you to focus more on the Lord? What's one thing you can just turn off? Maybe it's the radio as you go to work. Maybe instead of getting up in the morning, right, you got your coffee, I sometimes do this, I go straight to Sports Center. It's like, it's like my morning waking up, I just kind of go to Sports Center and start turning it on. What if you just had one thing you could just turn off, and when you turned it off, that was your kind of indicator, right, it's your download to say, hey, I need to now focus on the Lord. Maybe to pick up the Word. Or just say, Father, you know, thank you for my family. Thank you for this home. Thank you for this job. Uh, thank you for life in Christ. So what's one thing you can turn off? And in a sense, to begin 2018 with the Lord. You with me? Real simple thing that we can do uh, together. And then uh, two other things, just, just quickly. We mentioned community groups that we're going to be launching a number of new community groups. And so if you can plug in through that, it's a great opportunity to get into God's Word and kind of build relationships uh, and then finally, um, some of you know that uh, David, our, our worship pastor, and Shaylee have uh, moved on to a new opportunity, and we are now in the process of searching for a new worship leader. And so we want to invite you as a congregation to pray uh, for that person. One to be identified, uh, also for us. And maybe some of you, we're thinking, you know, maybe some of you know someone. Uh, there could be a connection through us in the body. And so let's just begin to pray. Uh, we want the Lord to call the right person. Uh, to come and be a part of this team, and then to lead us into His presence. I mean, there's nothing more powerful than coming in the presence of God. And, and the Lord uses music, He uses lights, He uses all that stuff, because, you know, that's the, the world we live in, and we need that person that has a heart for God. And because they love God, listen, they'll love us. And I think when you know somebody loves you, you want to follow them into God's presence. Are you with me? And so we're excited about where God's going to take us and providing that right person. So please join us in that, uh, in that prayer. So as I said, we're going to go through 1 Peter. Now, here's, here's kind of the thing. You're like, okay, 2018, pastor, that's all you got, 1 Peter. You know, you couldn't do marriage. You know, you couldn't do finances. Come on, couldn't you do uh, how to make my life happy? You know, we, we want pragmatic things. I, I know that. I mean, you go out in the marketplace, you look at the books, you go to Barnes & Nobles, you look at the bookstores, you see what sells. It's all pragmatic. But the most pragmatic thing I can give you is God. You may think your greatest need is kind of some new information on marriage, some new information on finances, maybe overcoming temptation. That could be like your 2018. But I'll tell you, the most powerful thing you can come in, in contact with is the power of a new affection. Let me say that again. The most powerful thing I can give you is the power of a new affection. And the power of a new affection is a, an affection where the heart is set on God, that knows God and loves God. And as we go through 1 Peter, what 1 Peter is about is a community of people who live in a culture, and the church is being alienated. They're kind of being marginalized. 
in the society in which they live. You know, in the United States, there are, according to the statistics at least, 85 million people in the United States that are not a part of church or have never heard the gospel or disconnected from the gospel. 85 million people in the United States. You know, a number of years ago, uh, Newsweek ran a kind of a headline on the front of their magazine that caught a lot of people's attention and, and created a lot of fear within the Christian community. In the front page, right on the front of the magazine, they ran this title that said, The Decline and Fall of Christianity in America. And what they did is in that magazine, those articles, they started throwing out all these statistics. And they said in the United States, every single year, 3,500 churches close their door. In one single year, 3,500 churches close their door. And of the churches that are still in existence, 80% of those churches are in a state of plateau or decline. That the state of the church, the influence of the church within our culture in the United States is diminishing. Now, that's a reality. Now, we know in the past that... The, yeah, I need to get that. We know in the past the church has had a tremendous impact in our culture. I mean, the church has been at the center in many ways of, of forming our society and our culture from hospitals to schools to the way that we approach things. But many theologians today say that we live in a very post-Christian culture. A culture not in which our culture simply looks at us and says, you know, I disagree with you. Hey, Melissa, how are you? That was my That's okay. That was all set up. I was just going to keep going off. Of yeah, that's okay. Where is it? it? I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> Let's, uh, well, there it is. See, we do all that just to keep your attention. So thank you for setting that up. That was perfect. That's how we serve you here at Bergen Park Church. Hey, great job, by the way. That was fantastic. Thank you. So as I was saying, <laughs> it's not that our culture just looks at us and says, you know, I disagree with you. We're in a stage in a, in a kind of period of time, which is unusual, in which our culture now looks at the church and doesn't say I just disagree. They say what you believe is harmful. And we're not talking about fringe theology in groups like if you've heard of the Westboro Baptist Church. We're not talking about fringe theological ideas, but rather the culture is looking at orthodox Christian beliefs. And they're not just saying, hey, I disagree. Rather, they're saying this is evil. And we live in a culture that's slowly beginning to progressively kind of marginalize the church to the extent that now we even see in the court system more and more Christians who are uh, being prosecuted because of what they believe and because of the way that they live out their faith. Now, in some cases, these uh, times where people are prosecuted, maybe uh, their expression of faith isn't the best expression of faith. And so just because a Christian is being prosecuted doesn't mean they're in the right. However, the reality is the number of Christians who are being prosecuted for living out their faith is continuing to rise that our culture no longer sees Christianity in many ways. There's segments of our culture that does not see Christianity as a viable option, but there are many people within our culture that would never darken the doors of the church. 
You may think of it this way, you know, maybe the mosque got a new leader, a great music program, you know, built a new building. How much would that compel you to go to a mosque? Just because they have the best teaching, the best music, the best programs, it's not going to move you. And likewise, there's many people within the United States that going to a church is something they would never do, which means that in a cannot, cannot be the center of what we do as a church. That in a marginalized society, we have to be everyday Christians living an everyday mission. That God has sent us here not to gather and to kind of have our best life now and to take care of our comforts, maybe get a little information, you know, download some new data to live life better. Christianity is not about living life better. Christianity is about loving God and experiencing the love of God in such a way that we go out into a community and love those who may not like us. That we go into a community that may disagree with us, may say that what we believe is evil, and yet instead of returning evil with evil, Scripture says we return evil with blessing. For to this church we were called not to fight our culture, but to love and to serve and to sacrifice for our culture, even when they hate and work against us. Why? Because that's what we believe. The center of Christianity is a sacrifice God. A God who came and died on our behalf. And I don't know if you realize it, but when He died, we were wrong. We were in the wrong. We were at enmity with God. There was nothing about us that desired God. It's not like we cleaned things up and He saw us and said, hey, I want you on my team. Wouldn't it be great to pull these people into the Christian life? No, God came and it's through the humility, through the sacrifice, the grace, the patience of Jesus Christ, there was a love expressed that is shockingly radical. It's called grace. That God gave us not what we didn't deserve. He gave us the opposite of what we deserve. He gave us what He deserves. He gave us acceptance. And now we are accepted by a God that created us, that watches over us, that loves us, and says to us as those who have trusted Jesus, you are my child in whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. See, when you walk out of the door on Monday morning with that kind of love and experience of love in your heart, you have a courage and a humility now to go into a world and to give to others what Christ has given to us. See, the reason we're going to go through 1 Peter is the people that Peter is writing to are on the marginalized side of society. They live in a culture that doesn't just disagree, but in fact hates what they believe. And many of them, because of that, are being persecuted. And so if you'll jump back, if you want to take out your handout or take out your Bible and jump back into this passage, there's a word that Peter uses. And we'll see this in chapter 1, verse 1, and verse 17. And then when we go to chapter 2, we'll see this word repeated that Peter says that to engage our culture, to live in a culture that is hostile towards the Christian faith, we have to begin by understanding who we are. We have to begin by understanding who we are, and this is really important for us because we live in a country of rights. Rights trump everything. You with me? It is my right to do what I want to do. It is my right to bear arms. It's my right to say what I need to say. And because we have the privilege of living in that kind of place, what Peter is going to say in verse 1 is incredibly important because before we get to our rights, we have to remember our identity. And so pick this up in 1 Peter 
chapter 1, verse 1. Peter says, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and then listen to the way he describes us, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. See, Bergen Park Church, we are elect exiles. And then look down in verse 17. He says, And if you call on Him, meaning as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves throughout the time, and notice He says, of your exile. What He's referring to is the life in which we live. He calls a time of exile. And then when you get to chapter 2 and verse 11, He says, Beloved, I urge you. And then he reminds us in chapter 2, verse 11 of our identity as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh which wage against your souls. Three times, Peter is reminding this community who is on the margins of society, who in many ways hold beliefs that are held hostile from people who see them from the outside. And he says to them, remember, your identity is that of an exile. And then he uses this strange word in verse 1 where he calls them the exiles that are in the dispersion or the diaspora. Now, see, that's a Jewish term. And it was a term that was used to apply to Jews who are not living in Jerusalem or in Judea in their homeland. Rather, they're kind of spread throughout the world. And it was an Old Testament concept where God was saying to his nation, Israel, you live in a land that's not yours, but you live there in a way that represents me. You're in exile. That the word exile, if we think of it in modern terms, means a resident alien. Some of you may have been a resident alien in another country. Someone in this room could be a resident alien in the United States. That what you have is a green card. And see, when you have a green card, you're not a tourist. You know, you're not here on vacation. You're not here just to see the sights and kind of use a great experience. Rather, you're making your home here. You've got a job. You've purchased a house. You may love the place that you live. You may love the new country in which you reside, and yet you know this is not my home. And so a resident alien stands out because they still live according to the traditions of their homeland. And their neighbors may see them as a little weird because they don't celebrate the same things we celebrate. Maybe they put different decorations in their yard. Maybe they don't even cut their grass. Or they just live differently because they're still living according to the traditions and customs of their homeland, and yet they planted their roots in the place in which they live. See, that's an exile. An exile is someone who realizes, I'm not home. And even though I love the country in which I live, and even though maybe I was born in the United States, and I know a number of you have served in the military, and so patriotism and national pride in our country is high in this congregation, and those are good things. And yet that does not define me. Because see, if I'm an exile... I realize even though I belong and I'm a part of this country, my allegiance is first and foremost to Jesus Christ. You know what was radical about Christianity? Christos es kurios. Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, is Lord. Why were so many Christians being persecuted? 
because they would not say Caesar s curios. Caesar is Lord. Rather, they took a political term, Caesar is Lord. They applied that term to Jesus Christ and said, my allegiance, my knee will bow to only one. And that is to my Lord, my God, my Savior, Jesus Christ. And see, that's an exile. An exile is somebody that may even live in their hometown, may still live in the country in which they were born, but because their heart is now associated with Christ and because they know they've been adopted into God's family, they realize I am no longer simply identified with my country. I belong to God. And I live according to God's values in a land that is not my own. See, what Peter is saying is the way we engage in a culture that may be hostile towards Christianity is by realizing who we are, that we are exiles in a world. In a world that we may love and in a place that we may have chosen to live, and yet we don't live simply according to the traditions and the customs of Evergreen. Because see, that's not your homeland. That's not the blood that's flowing in you. And even though you may love this place, it doesn't mean that somehow you live in a way that disregards the customs. No, you value, you honor those things, but the way you express your life is through what you love. And if you love God, then the love of God is going to begin to flow through you. So there's two implications I want to pull out. On the one hand, to be in exile means that this is not our home. It's not our home. And then second, it means that we are to live in the place where we are planted according to the values and the traditions of our homeland. Now, Jesus captured that second idea this way. He said, I want you to pray in this way, Father, hallowed be thy name. A kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Meaning, may the values of heaven be manifest on earth. That as I live in this place, would the values, the laws, the presence of heaven work itself through me? That this world is not our home. You know, and really, if you understand the, the story of the Bible, that is the message of the Bible. It starts in Genesis. Really, really from the beginning, it says that we are exiles because God created a world for us. And in that world, we were in harmony with God. It was called shalom, peace. And because you have harmony with God... What that does is it creates harmony with each other. We are not respecters of persons. We don't look at what somebody wears or what they have and somehow value them as higher or lower. No, we love one another because God has loved us. And so in the Garden of Eden, there was love for each other. And because of that, we were environmentalists. Now, not in that sense. We were creationists. We loved creation. Because we were right with God, we were right with each other, we were right with the land. What happened is sin came in and immediately we realized we are exiles. Because see, now paradise is lost and we're living in a land that we were not created for. That this world doesn't fit us because suddenly they experienced loss. Suddenly Adam and Eve exposed, I'm naked. I need to find something to cover me. Now all they had were leaves. We run to money. We run to beauty. We run to success. We run to the right community, the right kind of people. We run to all these things to cover our nakedness and shame, to find an identity outside of God because we're exiles. 
And so the story of the Bible is the story that we have been exiled from our homeland. And then what does God do? He, he goes to Abraham. Abraham, I know you're comfortable. I know you're rich. Probably one of the most wealthiest men in the world. And yet, I want you to leave your homeland. And I want to bless you. But as you leave your homeland, I have not blessed you so that you could live a, a fat and a comfortable life. Rather, I have blessed you that you, you could go to another land and that you could be a blessing. I have blessed you to live as an exile. Not to adopt the patterns and the structures of that land, but rather to love and to live in such a way that you bless others with the blessing that I have given you. Abraham was an exile. And then it goes from one individual to a whole community of individuals because then the story of Exodus picks up and where do we find Israel? They're exiles. Exiles in a land that is not theirs. Living according to traditions of the past, they're in a land called Egypt. They're in that land for 400 years and, and since they didn't really learn the lesson at that time and devote their heart to God, hundreds of years later, the Babylonians came in and there was a second exile. They came in, wiped them out, took them off in captivity, and for a second period of time, the nation of Israel found themselves in a land that was not their own. And through the prophet Jeremiah, listen to what God says to the nation of Israel who have been captured by a foreign invading army, who have been captured by a people who do not agree politically, who they don't like, who they think, the Israelites think, these people are a brood of vipers, worthless that God should come in and just wipe them out. Listen to the language that Jeremiah gives them and that God speaks to them. Jeremiah 29, speaking to Israel as they're in exile. Jeremiah 29, verse 7, he says, Seek, Israelites, people of God, seek the welfare of the city. Wait a minute, God. What? Jerusalem, right? You know, the hometown. No, I want you to seek the welfare of Babylon. That God, that wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. You know, they came in and they wiped us out. You remember that, right? You remember how they came in and they stole everything we have? I, I lost my brother. I lost my child. They, they have come in and, and totally destroyed our way of life. We no longer have the opportunity to worship you. Yep, Israel, I understand where you are. But notice, Jeremiah says, I want you to seek the welfare of those who are persecuting you, of the city I have sent you. Now, that's got to stand out, right? Because an invading army comes in and it's like, wait a minute, you, you knew this was going to happen? Yeah. I'm using, the Babylon, I'm using this period in life to show you something, Israel. This is the place that I have sent you, and I want you to pray to the Lord on their behalf. See, Israel lived in a land that was not their own with a people who were hostile in a place where they were persecuted. And God says, I have blessed you to be a blessing. I want you to seek the welfare of the city. And you know what Peter does? As he starts in three places and calls us exiles, if you go to the end of 1 Peter in chapter 5 and verse 13, he writes and says, I send you a greeting from her who is in Babylon. Now, why is that important? Because what Peter is doing is taking a pregnant idea from the Old Testament and applying that to us in the New Testament, that he's writing about Rome. And who are the Romans? Those that had come into Israel and wiped them out. 
They couldn't worship the way they wanted to. Their rights were not being protected. They were not in a land, the land that they had hoped for and wanted. Rather, they were living among a people they saw as vile, as wrong, as politically on the wrong side, as a people that God should wipe off the face of the map. And Peter is saying to them, no matter your hatred and anger, I have put you here to be a blessing to a people. Not so they may see the goodness of who you are, but they may see the goodness of who I am to you. I have blessed you that you might rest in me. See, church, this land is not our home. We will not be a positive influence in this community if we are here to use this community to our benefit. But if we recognize we've been called by God, just like Abraham, sent out, not to live for ourselves, but to live to bless others, you know what that causes us to do? I'll tell you, it causes you to focus on Jesus Christ. Because he's the only one that has done that for us. Because see, if you're trying to make this place your home, I'll tell you one thing. The happiness you're after, you're never going to find. If you're trying to make this place your home, the happiness you're after, you're never going to find. You know, there's some people that say, you know, this world is all we got. That evolution, we, we fit the place in which we live. God doesn't exist. The world is all we got, and so we have to live for what we have today. You know, the problem with that is they don't believe it. I'll tell you, we don't. When somebody says, I believe that, they don't believe it because every time death shows up, they say, this is wrong. You know, people will say, death is natural. You know, teach your kids. Everything dies. Grandma dies. I'm going to die. You're going to die. It's natural. Well, put that child in front of the death of their grandparent, their father, their mother. They will say, this is unnatural. This is wrong. There is a permanence. There is a home. There is a love. There is a continuity that my heart desires. And what I'm experiencing in this land, I don't fit. Because this world is not our home. The things that we pursue are not the things that bring us joy. But rather, Scripture says, God's coming back. And one day, the presence of God will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. And when that happens, there'll be no more tears or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away and realize I have made all things new. Meaning everything that sin has broken, all the desires of our hearts will be realized when we're in the presence of God. That is our homeland. This is not our home. And when I said we need to kind of break for the next 23, 24 days from the things that are taking our attention, you've got to say, what are the things in this land that I can say, okay, stop, so that I can focus on the Lord and His Word and His people? What can I cut out? And then second, how can I live today not just according to the values of our land, but to, according to the values of, of heaven. That I could say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know, Paul says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. He says, Bergen Park Church, your citizenship is in heaven. Now, he's saying that to Israelites. If you know anything about Israelites, they love their country. They defend their country. And he's saying, your citizenship is not on earth. Your citizenship is in heaven. And so we eagerly await a Savior who is from there. Peter says the same thing. 
as we live in a country that may be hostile and may grow in hostility towards Christianity, we do not revile, we don't fight back. Instead, we go to our hope. And what is our hope? Well, he says it's a living hope. It's not a dead hope. It's a hope that was resurrected. It's Jesus Christ. And see, the more we realize that our role is to bless others, what that does is it forces us to depend upon, to love, and to experience the love of God through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. God has sent us here to be a blessing. And see, that's how the book of 1 Peter kind of lays itself out. He's going to apply our identity to the various areas of life. He's going to ask questions like, hey, what does that look like in marriage? So we're going to get there. You may not be happy about that. What does it look like to live not to get something from my wife? But what does it truly look like to vow to her, I want to be the God, I want to be not the God. (laughs) Sometimes I try that, it didn't work. (laughs) I want to be the man that God wants me to be so I can love you to become the woman he has created you to become. And then likewise, what does it mean to be a woman not who just is arrayed in an outside beauty, but rather sees her role as to love her husband in such a way that he would fall more in love with Jesus Christ because of the devotion of his wife whose heart is set on Jesus and she has her own boundaries. Hey, I'm not going to do that. And it's not because I don't love you, it's because I love Jesus more than I love you and I want you to love Jesus. And I'm not against you, I'm not fighting you here. I'm trying to cultivate an affection for God. And hey, what does that look like when we parent? Because I need to know. Now, I need to know that. I need to know what it looks like when they hit 13. <laughs> right, Nate? He's a good kid. He's a really good kid. So. But I need that help. And then what does that look like as employees, employers? Peter's going to go there. What does that look like in politics? What does it look like when the leader is someone you love or the leader is someone you hate? How do, how do we engage in that world? And then finally, throughout this letter, what does it look like when we suffer? What does it look like when I lose somebody that I love? When I lose my wife or my brother? When I lose somebody who is important to me, how does the hope of God meet that need? And then finally, what does it look like when increasingly we find ourselves in in a land that is hostile towards what we believe? And instead of just responding out of my rights, I respond out of my identity. And I allow the gospel of God through Jesus Christ to work itself through me. What does that look like? Because church, here's our hope. Our hope is a living hope. And it's through the resurrection, listen, of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I want you to know it's in an inheritance. It's in an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. But it is kept. Listen, It is kept in heaven for us who through faith right now are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last times. And I love this. Listen, in this you greatly rejoice. What? In what? In our salvation. Though now, for a little while, you may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. But no, these trials have come so that your faith 
your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes though refined by fire. These trials have come so that your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. For Bergen Park Church, though you do not see Him, you love Him. And even though we don't see Him now, we believe in Him. And we are filled, listen, with an inexpressible and glorious joy because we are receiving the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls. And then he ends chapter 1, and and this is where I want to conclude. And he says in the end of chapter 1, because you have been born again. My blood, God's blood, is now alive in you. Your heart is alive to God. Your heart now desires to be obedient to God. You now have the power to be... He didn't say all that in the end of chapter 1. I'm adding that. You have been born again through the living and enduring Word of God. And for all men are like grass, he says. And then listen, all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers, they fade. But the Word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the Word that was preached to you. What do we long for? permanence. We look at the glory of man and we say, wow, (laughs) right? I do. Look at her. I mean, that's life, right? Look at the celebrities. That's living. Look at the investments. That's, man, that brings me life. And some of those things are gifts that God's given us. And yet we we make the gift the God. Instead of realizing, no, All these things, all these wonderful things that fuel us, all the desires to succeed and to overcome and to conquer are not so that we might find our home in those things, but we might use them to find our ultimate home in God. You see, God is the only thing that will last. And when suffering comes, when hostility comes, you know what the beauty of the gospel is? The beauty of Christianity? It doesn't become less real. There's a lot of things in life, I'll tell you, will become less real over time. Live for money, it's going to become less real over time because there's going to be a day where money's not going to solve it. Hey, hey, live for beauty, it's going to fade. It's good as you look, right? Live for the trappings of this world, they're going to get stolen. Someone in is going to come in and have more or be more powerful, but live for the kavod, the glory, the weight of God. And you will find your heart is at home. Even though you have lost all things, suffered all things, you'll find that God is with you. You know, today we're going to celebrate communion. And what is really the story of communion? What's the story of what we celebrate as a church? It's the story of Jesus. And Jesus was at home, He was with the Father. But he became an exile for us. Jesus left the Father. He left his homeland. He left the love, the security, the warmth, the hearth of his home. And he was exiled for us. And listen, he wasn't just exiled out of heaven onto earth to live a good life here. He said, foxes, they've got holes, right? they got dens. But I've got no place to lay my head. Jesus lost all permanence. He lost all consciousness of home so that those of us who were homeless spiritually through Jesus Christ might be brought home to the Father. 
As we celebrate communion today, listen, what, what I want to encourage you to do is, is to allow the Spirit of God to say, hey, what am I making my home in? You know, what, what is the thing that, that is home to me, that, that leads me not to God or even to use it in a way to glorify God, but says, you know, this is what life is. All you got to do is in confession say, Lord, I want to make you my home. I want the things of this world to fade. And, and I want the beauty of what you've done to stir my affections for Christ. Because you have, if you've believed in Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and He is there to stir your affections to see the beauty of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have to ask, are you with me? So I want to invite those of you that are going to come and serve us to come forward. Would you come up? And, and as they do, let me pray for us and just allow the Spirit of God to begin to minister to our hearts. Let me pray. Father, we have been born again through, through Your Word. And Lord, that term, I think sometimes... We've heard it many times, and sometimes it's the butt of a joke or it's an advertisement, but to be born again means that we are alive to you. It's not a kind of Christianity. It's, it's to be with Christ. And so, Lord, would you awaken our hearts in Jesus' name to the things that are just too important in this world, that have taken your place? And, and maybe would you tell us, Father, what are the things we need to shut off, even for 21 days, to the end of... January, what could we turn off? And as we turn it off and as we fight that urge to go to those places, we, we just simply say, Lord, I want to make you my home. I want to make my home in you. I want to just rest in you to know your love. Father, to, to understand your word, maybe for the first time, I've read it, I don't get it. Would you make it real to me? And Father, in 2018, I want to pray that Bergen Park Church would live for the blessing of Evergreen. Father, that when we go to the restaurant today, we would see that staff as someone that you love, and we would bless them. We would be generous to this community, and when we are reviled, Father, we will not revile back, but we will bless, because to this you have chosen us that we might bless others. Lord, as we come to the communion table, would you speak to our hearts and move us to see the love of God through the person of Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me explain just for a moment how, how we do communion. What we do is a process called intinction. When the time is right, if you would like to, you can stand up and come to the front. When you do, you're going to receive a piece of bread, and they will say, this is the body of Christ which was broken for you. Then we take that bread and we dip it in the cup, and they will say, this is the cup. It's the new covenant of Christ's blood that was shed for you. See, when we do this, we do this in remembrance of Jesus. And if you're here today and you want to stay where you are, we want to honor that. And if you want to receive communion at the right time, would you just raise your hand? They'll see you in the back and they'll come to you and they will allow you to receive communion where you are. And so together as the body, let's receive and celebrate what God has done. It's good to see you here. Let's celebrate.